So Reagan is uh, preaching in traditional this morning, and I was with her at 9.45, and she was like, when that promo plays, do you just come out and everybody cheers and it gets you pumped up? And I told her no, but next week, y'all, maybe we should try it out. (laughs) Okay, will you all join me in prayer? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to start with our scripture reading this morning. We're going to look at Exodus 15, verses 20 through 21. Then the prophet Miriam, the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. All the women followed her, playing tambourines and dancing. Or kids, what did we just talk about? Celebrating. Miriam sang the refrain back to them. Sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory. Horse and rider he threw into the sea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say thanks be to God. Who is Miriam? Who is this woman mentioned in the middle of Exodus and given the title prophet? That's not a title thrown around for just anyone. It's a title of prestige, of honor, of power. And for it to be given to a woman, a woman running around with a tambourine, who is Miriam? Throughout history, there were many times where someone worked behind the scenes and never got fully the credit they deserved. In patriarchal societies, historically, women were usually the ones who were overlooked. I'm really into female heroes. That probably does not come as a surprise to most of you here. I am proud to have been called into this male-dominant field of pastoring because I like being a woman in places where people don't expect women to show up. Believe it or not, growing up, I wanted to be the first female president. There's still time. And uh, when I was a child, Disney princesses were in their heyday. There were Disney princess movies coming out every year as I grew up. And I will never forget the first time I saw Pocahontas and Mulan, and I thought to myself, finally, there are women who are taking charge of their lives, taking charge of their own futures. As Jake and I raise our son, Miles, we want him to grow up in a world where all genders are treated equally. I want him and others his age hearing the stories of great women in the Bible like Miriam and claiming her as one of their faith founders. When I was a young adult, I fell in love with the writings of F. Scott Fitzgerald, especially his short novels, Tinder is the Night and This Side of Paradise. Side note, Great Gatsby would probably typically be in that list, but I was forced to read it in middle school, and having to analyze every theme and sentence really ruins a book for you. Okay, anyways, back to F. Scott Fitzgerald. So what I really liked about his books is he had this way of really writing eloquently. He formed these sentences that just had so much imagery packed into them, and he wove these beautiful stories and still left you wanting more. He left you with more questions than he gave answers. So imagine my surprise many years later when I learned that most of his most famous passages 
actually were written verbatim by his wife, Zelda. It's believed that he actually didn't even ask her permission for her words. But instead, he used her sentences word from word, word for word, that he found in letters, and even some he found in her own personal diary to create these classic works of arts. My heart broke for Zelda as I learned about her own mental struggles and the many ways she was used by powerful men of her time. I'm now grateful for the many people who have seeked to bring light to her story and to make sure she gets some of the credit for those beautiful words. Today, as we approach Miriam's story, I want to make sure we give her some of the glory and justice that she deserves too. Now, hear me say this right off the top. Moses did not plagiarize Miriam. <laughs> this story is not like the story of Scott and Zelda. Moses did not steal Miriam's spotlight or muffle her importance. Nothing about Miriam's quietness in our churches is to be put on to Moses. Moses is rightly the focus of Exodus. But Miriam is a character that gets overlooked even though she is of great importance to Moses and throughout the history of the Israelites, and ultimately to us today, too. So our question is, who is Miriam? The scripture reading we just read calls Miriam the sister of Aaron. Aaron, we know, is the brother of Moses from later readings in scripture, which makes Miriam... Moses's sister too. Miriam first enters the scene in Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to read a little bit about that. And before we do though, we talked a little bit last week about how Moses was born and his mother was forced to send him off in a basket on a river so that his life is not taken by Pharaoh, which is the command of all Hebrew-born males. Unfortunately, our introduction to Miriam is not super specific. So we're going to look at Exodus 2, verses 5 through 10. Hear these words. Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river while her women servants walked along beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent one of her servants to bring it to her. When she opened the basket, she saw the child. The boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrews' children. Then the baby's sister, that's Miriam, y'all, she said to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter agreed, yes, do that. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me, and I'll pay you for your work. So the woman, Moses' mom, took the child and nursed it. After the child had grown up, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I pulled him out of the water. The first time we meet Miriam in scripture, we aren't even given her name. 
though scholars are pretty confident that this is the same Miriam, Moses' older sister that we hear about later. Instead, this girl is referred to as the baby's sister, which, if you are into studying written words, probably should be our first clue of the male-dominant society they live in and how little women are recognized there. We aren't even given a name for Pharaoh's own daughter. So it isn't just Miriam who can be overlooked here. But aside from her not being explicitly called by name, what Miriam does here is pretty impressive. We're to believe that she is young, she's a child herself, and she's taken on the responsibility of ensuring that her baby brother is cared for. There are a lot of other very traumatizing ways this story could have gone. Miriam could have witnessed the loss of her baby brother down the river. But instead, something miraculous happens. Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter does not ring the alarms. Instead, she feels sorry for this crying baby. Instead, she has compassion. It's a very parent-like response. Pharaoh's daughter doesn't care about who the child belongs to or what stereotypes may be linked to his heritage. Pharaoh's daughter hears a baby cry, and she has compassion. It's then that Miriam makes her brilliant move. This child offers to go and find a nursemaid to care for the baby. And Pharaoh's daughter agrees. Miriam unites her baby brother Moses and their mother once again. Not forever, but for a pivotal time in the baby's development. Because of Pharaoh's daughter's compassion and because of Miriam's quick thinking, a mom gets to continue to care for her child. As I learn more and more about Miriam, I find that in every instance, she not only shows her worth as an intelligent, strong, called woman, but she also opens the door to shine light on other women too. Without Miriam, we may not understand Pharaoh's daughter's compassion here. We may not see the reunion between a mother and her baby. Miriam's life affects those around her deeply. As Christians, this is something we too know about. We know that as followers of Christ, our lives impact others around us. And how we interact with one another reflects Christ's impact on our own lives. Are we people of compassion, like Jesus? Or maybe like Pharaoh's daughter? Are we people who look for moments of reunion and grace and second chances? Are we people who shine our light on others and not on ourselves? All of these questions reflect how Christ is at work in our lives. Miriam saves her brother. She is in tune to the situation and uses it to benefit her family and bring safety to her baby brother. Miriam's example of standing up for someone else and being brave in a really high-tense situation 
is something we can all learn from. After this interaction at the river, we do not hear from Miriam again until after Moses and the Israelites have crossed the parted sea. Again, as a lover of literature, I think there's some significance in that the last we heard from Miriam was at a river that led to the safety of her baby brother. And here, we see her for the second time as the safety of the Israelites is ensured at the sea. Water is a powerful image in our Christian life. It's a sign of rebirth, of newness, of deliverance. The Israelites have gone across the sea. They have escaped from Egypt. Moses and his brother Aaron demonstrate these mighty acts of God through plagues that come upon the Egyptians. And finally, Pharaoh agrees to release God's people. And as they're crossing this sea to safety, Miriam gives us the victory song that we read earlier. Miriam's victory song is listed as a very short refrain. Sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory. Horse and rider he threw into the sea. She's the one who points all of this goodness and safety and deliverance back to God. If you were to open your Bibles, this is actually an exact copy of my Bible, uh, you would see that chapter 15, this is the blue arrow, This is actually attributed to Moses. It's called Moses' Victory Song. And believe it or not, his song begins with, I will sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory. Horse and rider he threw into the sea. Sounds kind of familiar, huh? Sounds like Miriam's. And then he goes on to say everything that happened in a lot of detail, but it's very poetic and song-like. It's beautiful. Then the pink circle that I made for for your reference, that is Miriam's song. So we get all of this Moses, then this little bitty refrain that's attributed to Miriam. Even though Moses' song is listed first, and Miriam's refrain is only two verses at the end of Moses' long song, scholars believe they're actually in very solid agreement that Miriam's portion of the song is the original portion, that it's the refrain that inspired the song attributed to Moses, and that Miriam's song may actually be the oldest song or poem that's found in the Old Testament, which is worth talking about. It's a really cool thing. And then we see her not only give a refrain, but she celebrates with a tambourine and all the women. She dances and sings. In Moses' time and day, women traditionally led this community in victory song. So Miriam doing this act, singing and dancing and leading the women around in song and dance, it's a powerful claim of the Hebrews' identity. Not only are they safe, not only have they been delivered, but they're taking back their identity. They're taking back what's theirs. Miriam, who Exodus calls a prophet, the first female to ever hold that title in scripture, and one of only three women overall, Miriam is who leads them in celebration. 
Miriam is a strong force in this story. And she's the one who reminds the people as they cross the sea that it's all due to God, to their deliverer. It's not anything they've done themselves. Miriam shines that light back on God. Once again, Miriam points to something outside of herself or her brothers. She shines that light on God. When are those moments in our own lives that we point back to God's work in our lives? Or maybe we struggle to do so. Do we take the, time, the honor and glory for ourselves sometimes? It's a thin string to thread. In my own life, I've found that when I find opportunities to celebrate others' successes, or in a big moment in my life, if I point back to the way others have helped me thus far, I'm able to make the celebration about something outside of myself. And when I get good at pointing to others' roles in my successes or my accomplishments, it's easier to also recognize God's presence and give God glory in those moments too. I don't know that it's an instinctual thing. For me, it's something I have to work at over and over and over again. But in those healthy moments where I'm able to identify others' impact and God's role, I've also discovered that I'm better able to find God in those hard and tough moments too. It's tempting to hear this story of deliverance and celebration and think, oh, that's great because I really need God to deliver and rescue my life too so I can get back to celebrating. And God does that but that doesn't mean that times will not still be hard because they will be hard. The truth we can cling to is that God is by our side in each of those moments, the celebratory moments and the difficult moments. The presence of God is something we cannot hide from and it's something to be celebrated. Miriam shows us how we can be in tune to the way God is leading us in our own lives. She also reminds us that we do not need all of the glory. We need to point it back to those around us and our God who is with us always, our deliverer. Let's celebrate God's presence like Miriam teaches us to. Amen.